Khwadahi kan langalai apukasta ti yubia tasnabia ka viraibia ya tashanti aba Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With us in Merry England is my lovely co-host Bianca Man- Bianca Richards. Now. <laughs> it's just muscle memory at this point. Her name is now Bianca Richards because yes. she got married between the last recording and this recording that she was in. Congratulations! Thank you. And yeah, uh, congratulations! You just, yeah, you just heard the talented William Annis. Hi. And you also heard a man who doesn't need much introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. The creator of Dothraki, president of the Language Creation Society, the one, the only, David J. Peterson. Hello. That Yay. was anticlimactic. That's what yeah. I sound like when I say hello. <laughs> good. Sound... <sighs> At least it wasn't one of those, you know, 10-minute academic introductions people get. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I don't I know those. that much. But anyway, so, how are we all doing? I just spent the last month trying to make a simple decision for my current language. I think that's my curse for the rest of my life, is I will run into one thing and I'll spend a month or two researching it exhaustively before making a simple decision. I am in the midst of preparing to take the GRE again, so that I can start mm. applying for graduate schools. Uh, you know what's annoying about that thing? The uh, the the fact that they changed it. Um, so now you have that that nonsense essay to write. Uh, you know uh, the you know it used to be um, a logic section. Are you familiar with these kind of? Uh, personally, I think of them as games, um, where they say something like. Um, uh, Sally is taller than Donna, and then Mary is the uh, middling height compared to her other two sisters, and then something like um, Aaron is the shortest of all, and then they tell you rank all of these people. You know that you know these kind of um, logic sure. problems. Yeah, that that used to be what the third section of the GRE was. There was a math component, there was a verbal component, and then there were these logic games. Um, and in fact, uh, when I when I went to um, when I took the GRE, they were trying out the new section, which is the essay. Uh, basically, they gave us the option. They said, "Would you like to participate in you know this voluntary thing where you go ahead and write an essay so we can try this out?" And I said yes. So I took a take a look at the essay topic, which was something like um, <laughs> uh, nuclear power has its benefits. But it can also be dangerous. What do you think about that? And I'm like, oh, Mike, are you kidding? Is this a joke? And so then I proceeded to not write any essay at all. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, at, uh, at, at UCSD, I was at uh, a graduate school for linguistics there. I talked to, um, this was Masha Polinsky, who was on the uh, uh, admissions committee. She said, pretty, I, I asked about the GRE. They said pretty much the only thing they looked at um, you know, for the linguistics program was the third section, the logic section. Uh, they weren't interested in the math of the verbal. And then they got rid of it. So. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I I am actually looking into get, going into linguistics programs, and 
a couple of them have said, you know, we don't actually look at the GRE at all. Yeah, but their, you have to take materials. it. But, um, like one of them said, it might help to get financial aid and stuff, so... That's true. So, I, I took it before, but I'm going to take it again to improve scores, or try to, so... Do you remember what your essay topics were, or topic was? Um, oh, yes, my essay topic. It was this odd scenario about um, two archaeological cultures acquiring... Um, Phase pistols. No, I think... No, it, Prime Directive. <laughs> no, no, I think incredible. it was um, agriculture or... Um, technology to go up and down a river, but it was it it was a little it was uh kind of complicated and I had to work out logically um I had to give my opinion on something and I think I overthought it because it was um just about but there was there was conflicting evidence but the, the the preponderance of evidence is supposed to be going in one direction, so I think that you were supposed to choose one answer but <laughs> i was i was throwing in extra hypotheticals so oh my goodness <laughs> yes that's at least wow. slightly less complicated than our topic yes okay <laughs> well shall we get into our topic sure uh why don't we we are talking today about correlatives now um David saw this topic and thought this is a dumb topic. So, <laughs> well, no, not a not a dumb topic. It's just a, an interesting grouping because uh -huh. it's not it's not exactly a a, a homogenous um, topic. The uh, this is something we mentioned before we started, but the only place where you see um, this being like a single topic, you know, correlatives is in Esperanto and then in other conlangs that based it on Esperanto. But yeah. um, usually the, the things that correlatives cover, so things like uh, quantifiers, um, demonstratives, uh, and determiners, or not determiners, that's even uh, articles, um, usually treated uh, separately by a given natural language. They might group one or two of the others together, but I don't think you see a natural language where you can find a natural grouping uh, like you see in Esperanto or what's covered by their, their table of correlatives. Yeah, and that's the thing is that drove me, to, that uh, gave me the idea to do this topic was that just me and William were on the last episode and we featured Esperanto, and I mentioned the correlative chart, and William's like, you know, you, you just ignore that because it's it's far too regular. Right. I, I thought, I, I've always thought that the, the chi was very, very cute, though. You know, yeah, tio and then chi tio means uh, this thing. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so we're talking question words, um, sort of certain negative pronouns and indefinite pronouns and stuff can be in this sort of correlative category. But as as uh, David was mentioning, yeah, it usually is something that is handled multiple different ways within the same language, and that's kind of what we're going to tease apart here. Right. So 
Esperanto's correlative chart, as we've mentioned, is kind of large. If you've not seen it, it has everything from um, the demonstrative to the question words to the <laughs> negative. You know, someone, if everyone. If you've not seen it, you're not a conlinger. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that may be. But uh, I don't know. Some people have – a beginning conlanger who's, you know, first appears on the board may acquire such a visceral hatred for a language they've never looked at because people get really vicious about Esperanto, I think. Well, I suppose things are, things are changing now. Um, well, I, how? But well, you're, how old are you exactly? No, I guess no. Never mind. No, no, one is not supposed to ask, ask that question. <laughs> but uh, people that are coming to the game later, it, it's it, it's different now because now, especially with um, with Navi um, and Avatar, there's going to be far more paths to conlang than there were even ten or. 15 years ago. That's a good um, point. I, that's right. Anyway, mm-hmm. Bianca was going to say something. You were. No, I said I've never seen the chart for Esperanto. No, yeah. but I meant after that. Anyway, oh. it's worth a look. Well, yeah. it's just because I've never really had interest in Esperanto, so I never looked at it. Right. Uh, so in addition to the, the simple things like who, what, you know, one dimension of the chart is like, you know, reasons. So you get words for like why and for this reason and for every reason and for no reason and time, you know, then, never, always, that sort of stuff. So you have this big chart. For this week, I focused mostly on the relationship between the question words and the indefinites, because all sorts of hinky stuff goes on there that's kind of interesting and difficult. Oh, Yo, by the way, I just want to mention one thing, though. I mean, Esperanto is, after all, an Oxlang. Um, I think its correlative table works very well for its purposes. I mean, it's, it's nice and simple and memorable, um, yeah. You even have one fewer consonant to remember since you have GTO and things like that. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's very nice. I, I think the only place where it becomes problematic is if you use that as kind of a guide and are trying to create something that's attempting to be natural or naturalistic. You know? And that's that's that was something that I brought up when I was looking up at it on the last episode, and he's, and Williams just like, yeah, you can't really do that. <laughs> you can for an Oxlang. I'm sure other Oxlangers have. Honestly, when I first tried to learn Esperanto seriously, I found the correlative chart difficult because they all rhymed. Yes. A whole range of words of, of different meaning and function all rhyme. I found that a little it's difficult. Easy. It's easy to mix things up. Uh, I think exactly. especially when speaking. Yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> And I still have to stop sometimes. I'm like, should I use Q or Kyo here? Yeah. So don't do that if you're trying to make a natural conlang. So where do we want to start in terms of the real ones in real languages? Well, you you posted um, in our show notes the the walls chapter on right. indefinite and question words is is specifically what it's co- talking about. And what it looks like to me is it looks like the majority of languages base their identity indefinites on the the question words but then there's several other paradigms you can have right so you start with your question words who where when whatever all of that stuff and your def indefinites something somebody somewhere that sort of stuff can be derived from those question words in various ways. You might add various kinds of suffixes or prefixes. Um, Vietnamese adds a demonstrative. And 
some languages, even more confusingly, don't distinguish. I mean, from the standpoint of an English speaker, the indefinite and the question word look the same. And and some people try to say then that that this indicates that they're not exactly that the words are indicating something different from what we're used to thinking about, that there's some sort of uncertainty is what the pronoun or, or adverb expresses rather than an actual question or indefiniteness. But that takes us into theoretical realms. Maybe we can avoid for now, but people can research if they want to. So there's yeah. the interrogative. Go ahead. Uh, actually, I, I wanted to ask you, you, you kind of passed it by, but I thought it was much more interesting in your notes. Can you go back, go back to Vietnamese. What exactly... Uh, at least what you just said was Vietnamese has a demonstrative that's attached to the question word. But what you have written here is Vietnamese is the fun option of have who, meaning someone. Have is not right. a demonstrative. That's a verb. Right. That is – see, so I thought that was fun because it, it kind of parallels the Mandarin but then takes a little twist on it. Vietnamese has multiple ways, multiple strategies. Okay, cool. So and, like, how, how does that one work? I, I, I don't even get it. Which, which don't you get? Have who? I don't know. Okay. okay. So let's let's talk through and get to the end of the basic list, and we can talk about how this rolls in. Because um, okay, go for it. Um, so the first kind is where your indefinites are somehow related to your question words, um, and we can get into the details of that a little bit more. Um, there are other indefinites where it's like English; you just use a normal noun. And you modify it somehow. Someone, something, somewhere, anyone, anything, anywhere. Um, and that's the most, that's the second most common option. A small number of languages have a completely separate set of indefinites. They're like completely different lexical items that aren't obviously related to anything else. And then the, the last possibility is you use some sort of existential idiom for the subject of a clause in Mandarin Chinese. You use for somebody, you don't use the normal way you say yo run, which just means there is a person. And then it's the rest of the sentence. Yeah. Okay. 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 Whatever, whatever, whatever. So the reason Vietnamese was funny is because it, it uses an existential, but it still uses the question word. Oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah. You understand? Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Okay. Um, how's that? How's that used in object position? Same way? No, in object position in Mandarin, normally you use just a straight up question word. Huh. Yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, Mandarin, it's the any is a question word, but you mentioned something that I didn't, I wasn't thinking about in this context. But yeah, you you mentioned in the notes the the fact that Mandarin also expresses the sort of the the everyone everything by putting the question word and then modifying the verb with do meaning all right so so he knows everything or this guy knows everything is jigaren shema do literally this person something all knows and where the word for something is also the same word for what yes <laughs> so one thing I'm I'm just talking here about indefinites, but I'm being very vague. I'm talking about the positive indefinite, someone, anyone, somewhere, some you know, anywhere. But you've got negative indefinites, nobody, nowhere, and you have the sort of 
sort of interesting scoping problems of everyone, everywhere, everything. And all of these can get tangled up in fun and interesting ways. We do not have time on the show to cover all of them. <laughs> yeah, this is another one where I'm just hoping to raise some possibilities and then people who want to do something other than English or Esperanto can go do their own research. <laughs> What's interesting is it appears to be across all sorts of languages is that using a bare question word as an indefinite is restricted to certain circumstances that license that behavior. I was just saying earlier in Mandarin Chinese, you can't use them as the subject. Right. You can't use she as a subject. No. I mean, that that can only that will only ever be a question. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You mean as an indefinite? Okay, I get you. Right, right. <laughs> um, whereas there's a common set of circumstances where it can be used in negative sentences, um, in questions... And this was surprising to me after modal adverbs like probably and sometimes or likely and that sort of stuff and in conditional sentences. And the reason I thought this was interesting because you've got Vietnamese and Chinese, okay, they're in the same sprach and whatever, they're doing the same. Latin does the same thing. Hmm? In a conditional, your question words become indefinites. Ah, okay. Right, so this seems to be a pretty widespread pattern. So wait, so let me get this. So Latin, you can say something like... The reason if, I know this is because I have memorized a poem of Catullus. <laughs> oh, okay. Right, so... If someone were to allow me to... And he's talking about some cute young thing. Kiss, kiss you forever. The word for anybody is the, just the normal word for who. Oh, okay. I see. Which would otherwise, in, in different circumstances, would be a, a, a word derived from who, not just... Straight up, who? Bianca, you have been. That's pretty cool. You have been silent this whole time. I normally am doing this part. I'm just digesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm curious about your opinions. On what? I don't know. I mean, these things exist. <laughs> um, no, I don't really have an opinion on much of anything just yet. Okay. Well, let's continue then. Um. It just most surprising to me was that modal things were enough to license the use of question, bare question words as indefinites. Hmm. But I suppose you wouldn't ever, ever say, who probably, you know, who probably saw that? Does that make sense? Somebody probably saw that? I don't know. <sighs> who probably saw that? that well, Probably I mean, who saw that? Just, yeah, that just try it with if. Just try it with if. It doesn't really work. So yeah, like, if, so if, yeah, that who went sense. out? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, not not in that way. It's like, uh, sorry, you could say if who went out. That that was the that was the wrong one. That was, I mean, like, if if who went to the market then. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, it make sense. Just say it right. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't structure that as a question. Yeah. Because, I don't know, a conditional with if kind of presupposes that you... Yeah, that you know what the... Right. Yeah. Now, you can put it in the... What is it? The the apostasis, but not in the prostasis. Protasis, apotasis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I read these words. Yeah, I know. I know. Blame English spelling. It's okay. Okay. Run like the wind. 
<laughs> yeah, sorry. No, but I, I, I do have um, uh, idiosyncratic uh, pronunciations like dinosaur and cacophony. Oh dear, that's no. Cacophony <laughs> sounds that sound okay. Anyway, dinosaur so, doesn't sound too odd to me. I think I've heard people. It say was it. the second one that killed me there. <laughs> but anyway, Bonnie, back to the indefinites. Think about. I mean, when you're inventing your language, that. To me, the correlatives chart is obviously a terrible model if you want a language that's very naturalistic. But there are still the possibility of relationships there that people should think about. Well, yeah, and you'll see them from language to language. Japanese is a small one that is almost uh, regular. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of hard if you start just from the chart to go backwards and produce that irregularity. And that and that pretty much goes for all frameworks. I can speak broadly. Yeah, that's probably true. I think like these little things, like doing anybody, somebody, nobody, are the things I'm most worried of copying English. Because I don't want to. Like if I want to copy English, I'll do it. I've done it before. Um, but I think they're the things I'm most worried about copying because they're just so little. Like they're so covert. Yeah. Right. We don't unless you have spent a lot, unless you've had uh, this chart or linguistics classes presented to you. You most of us don't think about the distinction between someone and anyone. And yeah, that's and actually it's not the reason always. that I was interested in looking at that chart as a tool, not to base your correlatives on that chart. I guess we we're all sort of agreeing mm-hmm. that that chart is completely unnaturalistic. So you you can use it if you're doing an Englang, but not if you're doing necessarily a naturalistic language. But uh, just to get the idea of these things are different. I think, William, you mentioned at one point that like that chart separates any and every, and some some languages will use the same pronouns for those. Does right. Spanish do that? Yeah, I think it does. Hold on. <laughs> uh, well, Spanish? No, you have. I mean, the, the the equivalent of yeah. the, sum, the sum distinction and the any distinction. Yeah, sum and is, any. Is, that's right. It's right. not the same in every language. Right. That's true. That, that this was another reason it's so easy to accidentally reproduce this, that distinction in your language if you've not stopped to think. Yeah. Well. Um. My yeah, favorite like, so I'm looking at the walls page about these and Hausa is really cool in that the um the en- what what corresponds to the any indefinites in English are derived from interrogative, you know, the question words and the equivalents of the some somebody indefinites are like English they they're generic nouns. Both think- the, yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I, there, uh, the thing is, uh, there's there's something a bit more definite about somebody and something. Uh, I think I had a, a a weird thing in Yeltach where I had started out with the all the sums having sort of a, a relationship. Something was how, and then how, and some, and then somebody was hala, and then uh, I threw a historical screwball. By making those change so that how became thing, 
and Hala became sentient being. <laughs> so that's I don't a know. funny backwards way for that change to normally go. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's I don't know. They're they're flying reptile aliens, so they yeah, can do okay, they can do things backwards. <laughs> so, David, it's funny you, you talk about the 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 some the some you know somebody something seeming more um, definite somehow um, in the walls discussion. They they call them quote unquote realis indefinites. That's a that's kind versus, of a versus free choice indefinites. That's kind of a nice that's kind of a nice term for them. Um, yeah, the idea is that you know with you know something somebody somewhere you have a specific uh, place in mind or or you have an idea that it must exist. So it's realis, but. You know, it's not necessary that you either know what it is or where it is, so it's indefinite. Well, but, you know. um, William, you were mentioning that in formal English, any is used with negatives, right? Whereas some, or or it's used in sort of a free choice situation. Who should yeah. sit here? Anyone? Unless unless you're from the middle of the U.S. Ugh. Really? What do they do? Oh, that that awful. Um, See, like, I, 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 mind you, I'm only reporting this. I don't know how to use it properly, but uh, things like, um, I go to the movies anymore. Oh, God, I hate that so much. I know what? exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's the most mind-boggling thing. What does that even thing. mean? It means I go to the movies habitually, I think. Okay. Yeah, they well, have some very weird uses of anymore, and I'm like, oh. That's really interesting, because... Where, where is this from? Like, uh, the, like the person, the person that I got the information from was actually from the uh, the the where's the university? It's, it's it's Chicago at Champaign or something, Urbana. Yeah, Urbana. Okay, from that. Yeah. So, well, well, I know we studied this when I was doing my semantics class. So see, the <laughs> thing is, my my the way that you said it, David. Uh-huh. I, my internal grammar immediately rejects it. But (laughs) for some reason, if you front anymore, it sounds more reasonable. So, like, anymore, I go to the movies. No, that sounds worse. It sounds a little bit like Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) (laughs) Nevermore, I go to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... I think, as a sidetrack, considering how much you told me that story about Baltimore, I think Edgar Allan Poe is the perfect representation of Baltimore and that he died in a gutter. <laughs> and had an NFL team named after him. <laughs> and some people think he may have been a vampire. Oh, my God. All right. So- <laughs> Sorry. It reminds me of a Party Down where they have the fake movie of uh, like the new adventures of Edgar Allan Poe where he's a vampire hunter with, uh, <laughs> young, with young Lincoln. <laughs> oh, Shows my. where to look. Oh my god! All right, what else do we want to say about correlatives apart from the fact that some of them are likely to be related and confusing? Uh, well, my my question was uh, why are, if we were dealing with correlatives, why weren't we dealing with demonstratives? Because that's a scarier topic. I wanted to say for an entirely different show. Okie doke. Okay. Uh, well, then. got some. I found. I, I came across some really cool examples. Uh, I was taking cognitive science of all things. Well, tell us a little bit about them. We can. You know, actually, I was. I, I posted. Uh, I posted the conlang list about it many years ago, and I was going through the archives looking for that message, and I couldn't find it. Um, 
but it's uh, it's it's this fun. It, it was a it was a Native American. No, wait, it might have been a South American language, but it was um, it was uh, spoken in a very small area where they lived in this place that was uh, I guess next to a very large hill, and so like pretty much all of their demonstratives had to do with whether it was at the base of the hill, somewhere in the middle of the hill, or at the top of the hill, whether you could see the person, whether you couldn't see them, and then there was a third parameter. And each of them actually had a phoneme attached to them, and they made their uh, demonstratives that way. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to have to re-listen to that to understand what you said. (laughs) Um, Well, it's easier if we have the actual example. Okay. I'll look for it. We've talked about this, I think, earlier. Both a, a language like West Greenlandic orients things to the seashore. So thing you, you don't just say this or that. You say this that's out to sea or that that's inland and, and up and down the coast. Um, I always like the West Greenlandic example because one set of the demonstratives, which indicates something way out to sea, has practically come only to mean things in Denmark. <laughs> since that's where they were ruled from, from so, for so long. Um, and um, Hoopa, which is an uh, Athabascan language in California, um, orients things to the main river that runs through the valley that they live in. <clears throat> so upriver, downriver, across the river, all of that. So there's all sorts of interesting things you can do there for demonstratives, but it's so interesting that I think we should save it for its entirely its own all show. Right. One Certainly one other to look at. Then. Oh, yeah, one <laughs> one other to look at. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just throw it out to you. So maybe there's probably information online about it now. But there was a Yurok language that was um, when I was at uh, when I was at Berkeley. The historical linguistics professor there, Andrew Garrett, he was studying Yurok, and all of their relationals have to do with uh, relationship to the watershed, and. That led me to look up what the heck a watershed was because I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Uh. it that's in the same – that's in solidly – I mean that's a, a – uh, not a cousin. It's a completely unrelated language, but it's really close to where the Hoopa live as well. So that might be an aerial effect. Adopted cousin. Ad- well, no. They're, well, not adopted. They're just your, neighbors, but we call them the cousin anyway. Right, right. Yurok <laughs> uh, is funny. It's an Algic language, which means it's related to the Algonquin languages on the other coast. Yeah. Uh, I think that the Yurok <laughs> and the and the Weot people just heard about how great the salmon was in California and came and never left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody who comes here, why would you ever leave? It's right, exactly. exactly. it is. I mean, that—that's my excuse for the extraordinary linguistic diversity of California: salmon and acorns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. The 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 especially the ocean, the ocean side can support a big population. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, anyway, <laughs> I forgot to mention that we have a guy who volunteer is volunteering time to edit, but he's not going to do this episode. He did the previous two. Yay. He makes me sound like I'm on speed. (laughs) (laughs) He edits out all of my pauses, which is fine, but whoa. Well, the thing was that I was more likely to leave in you taking a breath, because to me that seemed like a a signal for for your going on to the next thought or something. Some sort of pragmatic signal, so I left it in. But he... He edits out most of those. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I didn't notice, so. So, now that we've gotten on to that tangent, right. I think that means that we have not much else to talk about the with the correlatives, or at least not much that we don't want to put into another right. episode. That so. portion of the correlatives we decided to talk about. Later. But um, I'm going to say then we are going to move on to our featured conlang today, created by Zach Hart, and it is, I'm going to see, figure out how to pronounce this. I'm going to say Gomine. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, he, he, yeah, okay. It just, for some reason, my English brain s- s- makes me want to say Gomain, but it's Gomain. And, uh... For what it's worth, I'm going to pronounce it Gomain. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh... It had been on our list for a while, but the last time we, you know, talked after a show deciding what to do, we decided that we liked this language because it has some of the best example sentences. That's true. Yeah. One of my favorites is, for the love of God, Michael, it's only a minor injury. (laughs) Unfortunately, those example sentences have no glosses. Right. That's a little frustrating. Yeah. There are a lot of examples, though, so props for that. I thought it was really neat um, because you can get by without glosses if at least you underline certain things. But there was one example. I'm probably not going to be able to find it, but where something is underlined in in the domain sentence and not in the translation. I have one of those right here. Two things are underlined, but not in the English one, so... (laughs) So anyway, I... Starting... I always start with the phonology when I look at these things, and consonant chart, the only notable thing I see is it has... It has voiceless trill, voiceless L, and voiceless W. So it has and so paired with the voice counterparts. So that's sort of an odd thing. And then... Maybe he was fond of Welsh. It has this front-heavy vowel system. It was rather a large vowel system. Yes, it is. It is a rather big vowel system and fairly front-heavy. Not quite uh, Swedish, I think. I was about to ask if this was another Swede that we found. (laughs) This guy, uh, I've met Zach Hart. He was at LCC2. He used a, he used Gomain in the LCC2 relay. Um, he was a nice kid. Um, he was he was he was a teenager at the time. He's now an adult. What what year is this? Twenty <laughs> eleven. So it's got to be he's, he's got to be at least twenty, I think. So that's pretty cool. Really, he was a teenager when he came in with this. Um, yeah, he's been working on it for like ten years. All right, uh, cool. Well, it is. I mean, it has. In some ways, it has a first conlang feel to it, but in but it is in most ways. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very well developed, at least. Oh, Um, and he's got a giant correlative chart. Yeah. Oh dear. It's 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 more interesting than Esperanto's is, but you know it's yeah here it is. Um, But yeah, this is actually usually the first thing that somebody does if they. They're going by the correlative chart. They say, "Well, Esperanto is that many. I can think of even more." And so then, there you oh, go. Oh dear, where is the correlative chart even? I can't. It is it. in. It's under the pronoun morphology. Uh, At least it has gaps that make sense. So that's useful. So one thing I noticed is that it has 
it looks like fully 48 basic prepositions. Yeah. So, Where was that, by the way? Was that in... Under, under pronouns, B5 is prep prepositions on... Yeah, it's much <laughs> like pronoun nouns. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Making fun of misspellings. But anyway, yeah. Oh, he has a decessive. That's cute. A decessive. Yes, so we have important words like ex-wife and former senator. Oh, yeah, okay. His familiar term, the or he calls them familiar terms, kinship terms, are very well developed. And he has separate words for older brother, younger brother, that I approve of. Um, right, all Chinese speakers will approve of that. <laughs> They're fun. But, um, so there's that. And he has a whole different calendar system that's based on... Uh, approximate time of sunrise, like average time of the sunrise, rather than on midnight. And But he has a whole bunch of... Oh, talking about the current weather involves the impersonal use of the use of the verb off-go. So that's that's something not a lot of people think of as weather verbs. Is go a normal verb for that sort of thing? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. How is it used? I I can't quite figure it out because he has he doesn't have examples like it rains he has these long uh. things about <laughs> the news announcer says it would be sunny today I'm like just tell me what the, how do you say it rains well uh, but it goes cloud right there at the end oh, okay. oh. but oh it goes cloud so it goes cloud it goes sunny that's interesting I don't know <clears throat> for Precipitation, Chinese uses it, it, it comes down, so I guess, or it falls. So right, which that, that sort that. of, that's an obvious verb to choose for that. That's why I was surprised about go. Yeah, going, go, well, you can think of it, it's, it's kind of like English use of go in certain circumstances of, you know, uh, I don't know, the mallet drops and goes bonk or something, I don't know. Right, so... <laughs> so that's um that might be it but like not, um not quite uh <clears throat> idiophones yeah sometimes use go which is why i was puzzled by this yeah it, it could be something really that or it just could be that he decided to use go because it was something he thought of um i like that it a, uses prefixes for the Subject marking on the verbs, just because I'm in a prefix-heavy mood at the time. William, you you might approve of his dictionary. Really? Not. Yeah. Look at his his go mine English dictionary. Oh yes. Um, I I remember looking at this. I love that he has for verbs that are irregular. I'm guessing, since he doesn't do this for all verbs, he you know gives the table of the forms. That's very useful. Mm -hmm. Um, I. He has a few idioms, but I wish more conlangers would put examples in their dictionaries. Well, that's, that's kind of hard to figure out ex that many examples sometimes. I, I know it's hard work, but unless you're going to relax English, this is the surest way to show that you're not doing that, in my opinion. Not really. I mean, you can you can kind of look and tell, and this is pretty much that. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of like that. It's very entertaining to me that he has one verb glossed as have an orgasm or seizure. 
Well, he also has uh, boyfriend, male ally, and then the the word for girlfriend is girlfriend, female ally. All right. So you can change, and relationship is relation can also mean alliance. Bechrem, bechrembag, relationship. I mean, this isn't. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's got some words that are clearly um, not simply reflexes of English. There are plenty that are, but yeah, I I, I always. Really, really want to see short example sentences in those dictionaries as well. Uh, when I tried doing the example sentences for my dictionary, that's the part that killed me. Oh, it took so long. It, it is. It's hard work. And I, I don't always, you know, keep to that myself just because, especially if I'm in a spasm of vocabulary production. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's so enough it, to do, like, the hundreds of examples you need to put in a grammar. Right. But when you, you're trying to come up with an example for every word kind of uh right. so so i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i you know we, we were not going to do which is ask david about dothraki because mm-hmm. i remember when the press first started talking about you know we're getting ready for the thing to come out and they're like hey they invented a language your dictionary was pretty huge coming out the gate like two thousand words it's like 1700 1700 uh, how on, did you just how do you go about this process uh sorry i i just got really distracted i found Rather an offensive word in the bees. Um, yeah. I'm, unless I'm misunderstanding how he's intending this. Um, yikes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, passed away. Okay. Well, so what was, what was the question here? Uh, uh, Dothraki's dictionary? Right. How do um, you, it seems like you had lots more words than are normally ready getting, going out the gate when there's typically well, a very small corpus for a TV show or movie. Well, the lexicon is, I think, absolutely, it's, the lexicon is my favorite part of creating a language. It's, I think, where, I mean, you know, there's a huge amount of work when you're setting up, you know, the grammar and making sure things work. But, I mean, 90% of what a language is, is the lexicon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually the first place I go when I look at somebody's language. And I say, ah. Oh, it's just like this word means that, this word means that, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, whatever. Um, I guess with, uh, with, with Dothraki, I kind of, um, I started building it almost uh, in the same way that I, um, I built another of the languages that I made, Gilar, uh, uh, which is, eh, okay. Um, but that one, had, uh, that one had a bunch of noun classes, um, and Dothraki doesn't really properly have noun classes, at least it's certainly not in the same way or to the same extent. But um, but basically I started that way. So um, at least from the Dothraki to English side, everything is arranged by um, roots or stems. And so then under that, it's uh, whatever words are derived from or related to that stem. Um, and so usually what would happen was, you know, um, if I needed a word... I would, you know, first take a look at that word and see, all right, first, can this word be related to anything else? <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. <laughs> I, I, I heard a bunch of typing, then I saw a message on Skype. <laughs> and so I figured, oh, well, that was probably what it was. And the message is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, this is, this is something... I, this is... Um, a little bit uh, sausage making, but occasionally I forget to add feedbacks, and I will near the end of the show somebody will get to talk about something, and I'll start adding feedbacks. Then 
Oh. <laughs> so anyway, so you proceed by roots. Uh, just at least that's that's how I did it for that's how I did it for Dothraki, and that's that's how I continue to do it. So, but yeah, like if you if you need a word, I mean you can't just you can't just create a word and say oh this word for that is this. I mean right. you have to consider it first uh, in the cultural context. Uh, first, does it make sense at all? Um, and then second, is this thing going to be a basic word? Is this going to be a derived word? If it's derived, what it's what is it going to be derived from? Uh, is it going to be regular derivational morphology? Is it going to be a metaphorical extension? If so, what's it going to be a metaphorical extension from? Um, and if this thing actually requires a whole new root, well then, you know, what other things are, what other things is this root going to be doing? What other words are going to be related to it? Um, you know, is there going to be a verb associated with it and so on and so forth? And so, you know, you sit down to create one word, you end up with 17 at the other end. Right. Right. Um, you know, so it's pretty good. It seemed like a lot of words quickly by hand because mm. I'm I'm only up to eight or nine hundred for my current project because it it really does take a lot of sitting down and thinking. I suppose I'd be better about it if I were being paid. <laughs> See, my my whole thing about creating words is I do it as translations need it, which is probably not always the best idea when you are um, dealing with um, the fact that dealing with uh, trying to avoid relaxing English, but that's yeah. that's how I do it, just because sort of I create it as I need it. But then, I don't know. I think I might need to start doing a little bit more just creating words, doing a session of creating words, because sometimes I just, like, I, I get... Th- to a translation and I get to a word I'm like really I don't have that word yeah yeah well I think it's like if uh, it, it's fine to do it when you need it if you've got some time to sit down with it but um mm-hmm. thing I realized and it, it yeah I, I realized this beforehand and it turned out to be quite true like if um if I needed to do translations on demand and suddenly I don't have like five of the eight words I'm going to need and it's the kind of thing where it's like, we need this right now. Then it's like, you have to coin those words. And if you're forced into that sort of situation, you're just going to have to come up with stuff yeah. and then try to come up with an explanation for it afterwards. Um, and it's like, you know, you can do it. Um, it's, it's possible. Uh, that's what um, sounds like. That's what uh, Paul Fromer did. And that's what, um, um, you know, uh, Mark Okren did. Um, but if you're trying to make a, a language that, you know, looks looks natural. Um, you know, you need to put the time and effort in. So I just you did, um, I just did that you, beforehand. You did some his- historical stuff on Dothraki, didn't you? Uh, was, well, yeah, the whole thing pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Cause I know you, you constantly are mentioning historical stuff on the Dothraki blog and stuff. Yeah. But, um, Anyway, we've ceased talking about domain, yeah. domain and, and... Well, I mean, it's dictionary. I approve of the layout. It's nice. He gives how to cope with irregular verbs, so that's nice. Um, no examples, which <coughs> makes me less happy. And while he does have some words that are clearly not simply relaxes of English, there's still a hefty dose of okay. words yeah. that are pretty clearly... I mean, yeah, it's it's not the case that, like, I mean, there's going to be a lot of crossover with any vocabulary, uh provided the cultures are somewhat similar. But it's, you know, it's always this question of, you know, you have a word in English, um, and, you know, it might be a basic word, it might be derived, and the question is, is the same 
is, this the, is the expression used for the same reference? Is it done in precisely the same way as English? Um, uh, or, and, yeah. And then, or is it, uh, or is it done in any kind of interesting way at all with any thought given to uh, just where this word would come from, what its history would be? You know, sometimes there are basic words. I think like the English word for sun, S-O-N, is pretty much sun going as far back as you can go, yeah. like all the way to P-I-E. Um, but, you know, sometimes other things happen. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the part that I find the most interesting um, in conlangs, really centralistic conlangs. And so that's kind of what I look for and what I'm interested in. Yeah, I can, I can see that, that idea. Um, he does have a section, sort of a supplementary section on dialects. I like that he has a bunch of these dialects figured out. Well, he gives rules for dialects, but not too many examples. Yeah, he doesn't have any examples, but he has... I think it's mostly he just has pronunciation. Yeah. Which, I mean, a lot of people don't even go that far. A lot of people don't do dialects at all, but he has quite a few. Yeah, for me, the interest in dialects is rarely these mechanical sound changes as in, oh, by the way, our verb for go is different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's usually more interesting to me. It, like it's just so wild to me, even just using a, a really small example um, where like Spanish has Spanish has essentially two copular verbs, but French doesn't, and it's like you guys both came from the same place. <laughs> it's, well, it's like really that cool. any more example that breaks oh, my mind. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't believe I didn't believe the person who told me that. I thought that they were just making it up to say something in class. <laughs> yeah, like <sighs> if I hadn't actually like my if my professor hadn't said it, I would have been like, "You're making that up. That doesn't make any sense at all." Yeah, exactly. You might should do this. <laughs> uh, oh, my good, my good. Oh, I think that happens here. It's happened in it. I I have observed it in my own idiolect, uh, particularly Mike could. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and what distinction does that add? Uh, well, I always contended all it does is just add another level of uncertainty. But um, it was just, uh, I, I was I had a fellow fellow colleague who was a graduate student at UCSD. She's now a, a professor at UTEP. I want to say uh, she wrote an entire paper on double modals, uh, claiming that they were different in some important way. Um, I not important enough that, that you can remember what that way was. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't believe it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know. The might could it's so deeply into my subconscious. I think in, at some point I sometimes I just use it sort of informally, but uh I don't know if I don't know exactly what the, the I can't really think of what the distinction is even. It's all right. Native speakers are crap at judging their own speech. Right. Okay. So one thing, one last thing I wanted to say about Gomine that uh -huh. I appreciate is it doesn't have the Tolkien disease that makes it afraid of anything modern. <laughs> what do you mean? Does it have? Well, it, it like it has. It gives. It explains how to do math. Oh God! Anytime. Uh, okay. I always hate, and then I'm secretly jealous of anybody that has really complex math garbage in it because I hate math and don't understand it. Uh -huh. Oh, I almost <sighs> forgot. Um, he has a lot of audio samples. And a what? lot of them are... Where? 
Yeah, where? It has in the look in the sample text, and the Babel story has line by line audio sample. Oh, in the sample I did look text. at that, and I didn't even see it. Here, I'll play a little of the Lord's Prayer for you if I can get my stuff switched around. Oh, is that what listen to it means? Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, I just, I just, my eyes didn't even attend to that. Okay. Must by the, be the blue on blue. By the way, okay. I found, I found the. I'm not sure if this is a squib or a paper, but I found the, I found the squib. If you type in double modal and the last name Kilpatrick, K-I-L-P-A-T-R-I-C-K, um, you'll find her paper on double modals. Okay. Anyway, um But yeah, um, go ahead. Let's 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 play this. I outlet Stafla Rumi, Bachlam Heko Projak, Jehoculem Rashioida, Mosatlem Nidak Nero Waskai Mishmanaj Stafla Urumi, Oihadak Rang no Engri Uundlej or Rangin, Is Lundov Dakri on Nivileja and Mishulundov Onivikeleja, Is Emanak Nari Stafla Uwenget Kam Shuadak Rilom Uwerwaset, Yorwakeve or Jehocule Isawakala Isokirvelabaka, Mavidom Noai. Oh, that is just incredible. That's really good. <clears throat> yeah, he he's <laughs> awesome job. Yeah, it has a nice sound to it to me. It's it certainly sounds better than it looks written there. <laughs> um, is it just me, or do you get some a little bit of a Slavic feel out of it? No, I think no. it's just you from my perspective. It might be just me. I was I was thinking Celtic. Um, yeah, yeah, that's more what I was thinking. Uh. Okay. Um, no, it's good. And so often, I mean, certainly with any of my languages, if I had to speak it, I would speak rather slowly. Whereas this is just zooming along. I, yeah, I, I, I suck uh, yeah. it. Yeah, I'm terrible at my language the couple of times I've recorded anything. Well, um, it de- for me, it depends on the language. Ayurio I, yeah. is, is fairly simple phonology. It's not hard for me to get into it. Sometimes I botch some of the uh, aspiration and stuff, and, but uh, yeah. mostly I can do it. But um, Yeltach, which if you saw the phonology, you would understand why. It's just kind of bizarre, and it always ties me up. I can't. I I've tried recording it, and it I can't do it. <laughs> I think what I always get caught up on is. The emphasis or the stress. I won't call it emphasis Thank now that you. we did that episode. The stress, because it's always word initial and I always mess it up and I put it where the Spanish stress would be. <laughs> I screwed up uh, a, a Dothraki recording I did for, for David's blog be- precisely because of stress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but you, know, you got the stress right there. I, I, I actually screwed up the stress on something that was like the very first. Um, it was like a, one of the very first little audio samples I did. I stressed something initially that should have been stressed finally. So I'm very... <laughs> uh, uh, I haven't really I, I will confess it. that um, I'm probably one of a small number of people who saw the movie Avatar only because I had been reading about the language. Um, <laughs> that was the only reason I saw it. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was the sound samples that Paul Fromer did for the New York Times Magazine that convinced me I would want to hear more of the language. It was well, quick um, and it was quick and fluid. I, I think, I mean, what, the the second episode ever of this conlang, this conlang, this podcast, and the first one ever I was on was how do you promote your conlang? Do excellent sound samples. I think that will certainly attract attention. <laughs> yes, 
It was, um, and Paul Frommer did do that. And also, there was a lot of stuff on Language Log about it. He even actually guested, guest posted on Language Log with a very basic sketch of Natvi. Yeah, I, I, there was a reason for that. It was because um, there was a much earlier post on Language Log that um, was uh, was kind of attacking the movie Avatar. Uh, this is well before it came out. Um, and I think it was um, it was one of the guys that uh, that invited him to post on there because they were also talking a little bit about the language. But this was again before anybody had seen it. Hmm. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that, that happened. But actually, I think I saw that post, and it was it didn't speak negatively about the the fact that they were making a language for it. It spoke positively on that, but they were. They were speaking negatively about the like the noble savage right. um, trope that is definitely in that movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> massively so. Um, in any case, anyway. do good sound samples. Yes, that's our advice. And um, anyway, before we do any more um, tangential discussion that I'm going to have to cut out, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we do some uh, feedback? So special feedback song, but okay. We need uh, I I I a special feedback song. Well, uh, my first at first I wanted to do bumpers for this podcast, but I ended up not doing them, and works anyway. So, uh, we we mentioned a couple episodes back, Copa de Sal having having some trouble, and he made a comment on that episode. He says, "Good news, I was at my checkup Tuesday." And my kidneys are patching up. Now I got more than half a kidney sustaining me. So that's that's positive news. That is. That's nice. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, so go go Copa de Sal. And, uh, and we have a couple emails I wanted to say. Um, James Campbell said, Enjoyed t- episode 26 a great deal. No offense, but the editing definitely helps the... Listener experience, the whole thing flows so much better. Just stop there and say, yes, no offense taken, because I am not a professional audio editor, and the guy who volunteered to do that episode is. Oh, so, awesome. <clears throat> actually, he, he does he does a lot of video editing. I don't know if he's a professional, but he's certainly much more experienced than I am. Um, and then he says, and yes, it looks like Basque does have a vigesimal system, and a pretty sane one to boot, for a truly twisted vigesimal counting system, see Danish, a system that was borrowed into influenced Faroese with further extraordinary phonetic mangling, although it looks like Faroese has largely changed over to a decimal system now. We're going to have to look. I, I want to look at cool. that and see. What isn't crazy about Danish? We're gonna I was just going to ask the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to do an episode on numerals sometime. Uh, I think. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, I had the same reaction. <laughs> oh, the Numbers. about Danish being crazy. What is there? There's videos talking about. I think it's but it's it's Danish and somebody being satirical at Danish and and. Uh, Danish is so crazy, even the Danes make fun of it. Yes. Uh, But anyway, um, and we have another email that I want to get to here. 
Way back, William mentioned using LaTeX and Lick to create documents in Lexicon's Quick Correction. I've used Lick, but apparently William had never heard of it before I mentioned it. But no, no, no. I've used. I've heard of it. I just don't use it. You don't use it. Okay. Nope. But I use Lick, but William doesn't. But um, I responded at the time to say I was trying those out, but I am struggling to figure out how I would convert a spreadsheet lexicon into dictionary form and wondered if William had any insight or ideas of how I can do this. Right now, my lexicon is a Google Doc spreadsheet with several columns, word, pronunciation, English equivalent, word type, notes, etc. I would love to be able to present this in OED format with nicer, longer descriptions and a uniform style. Thanks again for the podcast and your shared insights into language in general. Um, well, it was addressed to you, William, so I'll throw it to you. But first, I'm going to say I can't think of any way to do it except by hand. But Well, right. So there's by hand. Um, I, if I had done this, would export the spreadsheet into a CSV file and write a computer program <laughs> to rip it apart and spit it out in the tech format. So you're volunteering to do that for him? No, I am not volunteering to do that for him. Um, <laughs> what I'm actually, I don't know if that would be very hard. Um, but if you're not a programmer, then I don't know of any nice way to do that. Yeah, um, you might just be stuck with doing it. You by might hand. be stuck with with copy paste and and tweaking. Um, over the last few months, I have refined a LaTeX. A, macros that I've written myself in LaTeX that help me set up a dictionary in a reasonably nice way. So, you know, maybe I could make those available for people to use if they wanted to, if they like the format. That would be... I would like you to do that, because... Okay. I'd like to at least take a look at it, because... All right. I well, have I my mean, own thing that I've done in, in, in LaTeX, but I... Nobody wants great. to look at the LaTeX code itself. They just want to see the examples of how to use it, because... LaTeX programming is kind of hairy black magic. <laughs> um, so you guys don't need to look at that part, but just seeing if the f- format is nice. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so. now that I've moved on to new languages, I would like to do the dictionary right from the start so I don't end up in the same situation I was in before. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take this time to say I hate spreadsheets for dictionaries. Yeah. It's... They're a pain. There's just no there's just no decent way. People even recently somebody is trying to to create a program that will create a nice formatted dictionary, but none of them have everything you want. Yeah. Well I read them like a book, I write them like a book. Right. I I, th- I think that's right. I, I for a while I had fantasies about you know, the grand unified conlang dictionary program. The problem is if you invent an isolating language heavily motivated by Thai, your needs are altogether different than somebody who's motivated by, I don't know, Coast Salish. The ne- things you need to talk about, the things you need to include, the points you need to make are completely different. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you make a general tool that can do that. Yeah, you'd have to – you know what you'd have to do. I don't know if you, if you use like – you know, but I think Word does this. I use Pages for Macs. But when you open it up – It'll the very first time it'll say use one of these fancy templates and you click uh no I just want a blank document but that's essentially what a kind of unified conlang dictionary would have to do it would probably have to create sample templates 
and you'd start with one of those. So yeah, that, like, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. do do a template. That 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 does make sense. And then once you define your template, then you have the fields you have to fill in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it gets um, it gets it, it can, it's it's a tough problem. It's a tough problem. And right, so I'm aware of one uh, I'm aware of several failed projects to make a web tool to do this and one independent program that's I don't know using .net or something um to do this. There was what was the the corpus and dictionary Cura? Yeah, that, Alex that, Alex Fink is in charge of that. He's still threatening to do it. That that plan But it is, was originally uh, written was like Bodevine Remt or whatever the, the the Dutch guy. It started really? off as like it started off its life Oh, as I'm some, sorry, Cura too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, right. Cura started off with some Python program and then it moved to a German guy where it died and then I knew that the the C, um LCS or somebody was trying to do the web one. Okay, Bodeving mm. Rempt is uh, he's he's um, he's Dutch, um, and actually I thought he was still working on it. No, I think it, it passed into the hands of someone else. Well, he keeps talking about it, and we have really? uh, yeah, um, <laughs> and we have um, let me see. I think um, it's Kura two you're thinking of. Right, that was written in Ruby, but hasn't been much dealt with recently, as far as I understand. Where I, I could have sworn we actually had just a second. I'm interested to look this up. The, the um, problem is, is I have all sorts of ideas about how this should run, and though I can program, I am not a programmer. I do not want to write this, and God help me, be responsible for it, um, for other people to use it. Well, yeah. Uh, the if the thing that um, oh, it's not it's not Cura. It's um, is it dictionary.com? Like I, yeah. Uh, um. Okay. But, we can continue this talking about dictionaries. A little bit after the show, I think, right? Because we're at an hour and seventeen minutes. Okay. So, <laughs> so Owen, I'm just saying, if you can't write a program, if you don't have the programming experience to that, you're going to have to do it by hand. But I will. I promised to bundle up some of my LaTeX stuff earlier, and I neglected to do that. So I will do that this time. Yeah. So anyway, plus plus somebody just brought me some food. Anyway, but okay. um. <laughs> Uh, we can we can kind of dis- continue this discussion later uh, afterward, but um, for now I think we should uh, wrap up the show. And uh, I'm sorry to, to stop everybody, and I'm no, gonna fine. say start with the guest, David. Yep. Do you have any words of wisdom? Final words of wisdom. Uh, I guess uh, I guess pretty much if you're making a naturalistic language, start with start with stuff and then build. Start at time x minus y, not at time x. There you go. Okay. And uh, William. Uh, no, I don't really have wisdom. I'm still, I, I'm still trying to breathe. <laughs> okay, Bianca. That's fair enough. Wisdom, just keep on breathing. Um, <laughs> no, of course I don't have any. Okay. Ah, I was hoping William would have one of his nice proverbs. Anyway. No, I didn't. Sorry. Um. Then I'm going to say happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at conlangery on Twitter.
If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Vidaeus. That's a terrible test. Wait, wait. Not a terrible eat, test. eat a raw it's onion. It's an eatingless test. Okay, no, no, no. eating a raw onion is not really a, a a great thing, but cooked onions that are you know in a stew or something that's that's adds some flavor. Uh, Large parts just, of the world survive on foods that are poisonous if you eat them raw. Judging an onion by how it tastes raw is a really bad test. It's just like. Um, Raw garlic is incredibly, incredibly spicy. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that makes it interesting to me. <laughs> but uh, when you garlic, cook it, I'm a big fan of. So, how do you feel about asafetida? So I'd, what have to, I'd have to Google it. I have so, no idea what you're talking about, William. Asafetida, it, it's used in Indian food. <laughs> I do like Indian food. Right. So apparently, for some reason, certain castes, I think it's the Brahmin caste, is not supposed to eat onions. So maybe you're a reincarnated Brahmin. So instead they use asafetida, which has much the same effect. It's the juice from extracted from the roots of this incredibly pungent plant. I think the Germans call it devil's fart. Head oh, there you. is one other important thing that I really should have told you guys about before. Um, I got married like two weeks ago. So you'll have to introduce me differently. <laughs> oh, <dear>. congratulations! <laughs> Thanks. Well, wow. so what's your new last name? Richards. Surely Bian you can manage that one. Bianca Richards. Well, hey, yeah. I at least that I don't have to. Uh, it kind of is, or else I wouldn't have taken it. I don't have to deal with uh, Engma G clusters, so. But no, I, I see what you mean. It's a it's a homo organic uh, uh, velar uh, nasal stop cluster. Just, it's a failing of English orthography, is all it is. Just pronounce it like you're a beetle. Mangum. I didn't catch all of the onion rant, but I caught ha about <laughs> half of it. Oh, okay. Kill. <laughs> Got lots of cough medicine over here too. Okay, I'm gonna have to edit out coughing. So. Oh.